Father in heaven, now we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. We're talking about faith. Help us, Lord. We want to have faith. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, verse 13, is where we are keying this fall. And the passage says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We've been keying on faith. We've been talking about faith for the last two Sabbaths and today. And this, this will be the last official day in this series where we're focusing on faith. We'll start on hope next Sabbath. We've been talking about faith, and I think you're beginning to get the idea that it might have seemed like a lot of time to spend on it until we did. And now you're starting to realize we could talk about this for a really long time. Because it all begins with faith. And two weeks ago, we talked about that great confession of the Christian faith, the confession, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then last Sabbath, we talked about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Two statements of faith that we both understand and believe by faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6 You heard a piece of this in our responsive reading this morning. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because, note this, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. That seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? But but actually think through the implications there. This is a confirmation of the faith statements we've been talking about the last two weeks. The identity statements. What is the identity statement of Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of God. What is the identity statement of God? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You must, by faith, believe He exists. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We're going to begin talking about the reward today, but let's start. Let's talk about what does this faith look like? How does it play out in real life? Well, to begin to get to that, I want to go to a parable that Jesus told, and we're going to read it from Luke chapter 8. We could also read it other places, but I want to use Luke today. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When Jesus said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So this parable about the soils, it's a, it's a parable about the faith response. And you might recognize that saying of what Jesus said, because a few years ago we did a series we called Candles, and it was a series on the seven churches in Revelation. And if you remember, every one of those 
uh, every one of those messages to the churches in Revelation has the phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And now here we have Jesus, before that was written, but here we have Jesus using that same phrase, in essence, saying, those who have ears, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And and here's what's challenging in that statement of Jesus and in that statement that appears in Revelation. The clear implication here is that truth is knowable by hearing. Okay, that feels awkward to us, right? That feels like a setup for us, right? Because isn't truth knowable through evidence? But the suggestion of Jesus here, at least in the context of the voice of God and speaking, is that truth is knowable by hearing. So, so here's, here's the question I want to put in your mind as we go forward today. Are there times in life when in order to know, I must first believe? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, even if we had been walking next to Jesus when he was here, there is no way we could prove he was literally God's son, could we? It was a faith statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, obviously, if he did it, none of us were there, right? It's a faith statement. Do you remember what Jesus said to Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. It's a faith statement statement. Luke 8, verse 9, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. So what I understand Jesus to be saying here is, there are those who don't have ears to hear. And he's saying they cannot hear. And in fairness to them, we're not picking on anybody here, in fairness to them, it seems like the disciples at this point don't really have ears that hear either because they're back asking what it means. Verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Persevering. We've heard that word before, haven't we? I went back and looked that up. And it's that word that comes up every now and then. We talk about it. It goes back to a series we did a long time ago. It's the word hupomone, faithful endurance perseverance. The message here is the seed that does well falls on soil and it stands for those, that soil represents those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, who retain it, and who persevere even when it gets tough. 
That's the good soil. So I see four groups here. The first group I see, let's call them the packed ground group. And what happens with them is an enemy steals the seed away. And the point I want you to understand about the packed ground group that Jesus is illustrating is it's not enough to just hear. You see, God doesn't force himself on us. The seeds don't have little built-in augers that, that, that tunnel their way into us if we are closed off to the Spirit of God. The ground must be receptive. Faith is required because here's what will happen. If you are packed ground, you will hear these words that call to faith and they won't have any meaning to you. And in essence, what happens, he said, the birds come and take the seed away. There is an enemy who doesn't want you to believe. And if you harden yourself long enough, the seed will be gone and will never grow in you. So that's the packed ground. But I hear another group here, the stony ground group, and, and I'm going to refer to them as the shallow commitment crowd. And it seems to me a way to describe this is, is they have more faith in what believing is supposed to do for them than they have faith in the one they're supposed to believe in. They've bought into this idea that by believing in God, my life's going to go great. Nobody in my family's ever going to get sick. We're never going to have any troubles. I'm going to be constantly blessed and I'm going to be overflowing. And then, you know, life doesn't quite go that way, does it? And each of us has that experience in our life where all of the extras are scraped away and we're down to the core. When we get to the core, the stony ground believers, at their core, what they had was, God's going to give me everything I want. And when it didn't happen, they have nothing left. But the true believers at their core have a faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They've put their hopes in the reality of Jesus. So the stony ground believers, when times get tough, it just, everything goes away. Now there's a third group, the ones in the weeds. Now let me just tell you, to this congregation, I worry more about the weeds for most of you than anything else, because I don't think you are packed ground people. Most of the packed ground people don't waste time with church. Okay, so the fact that you're here suggests you're not that group. And maybe there's some stony ground people here, I don't know, but I don't think that's the bulk of you. But I worry about the weeds. Here's why. You are important people, and you have important lives, and you do important jobs, and you happen to live in the fun capital of America. So there's all kinds of fun to do, and you have things and things and tasks and duties and opportunities and fun and fun and one after the other after the other after the other after the other, and it just goes and it goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. Here's the thing. If we let all the opportunities, all the fun, all the other things be more important in our lives than the call of God, then we are living in the weeds. An interesting thing Jesus says to the Pharisees, the Pharisees come and they, they, they pray. He says they like to say their prayers in public so everybody can see them. And then he says, I tell you the truth, they have their reward already. 
Let me tell you the danger of living in the weeds. There may be some really fun things you get to do. There may be some amazing parts of this life. But if you live your whole life in the weeds, you have your reward already. This good life will be your life. Is it good enough? Are you willing to trade in the promise of God for this? Then we have the good soil. What happens when seed falls on good soil? Well, to answer that question, I want to take you now to 1 John chapter 5. And this was the passage that we wrestled with this week. And I'm going to read you the first five verses together, and then we're going to go back and try to unpack it a little bit. Because John is saying a whole bunch of things here, I think, mixed on top of each other. But I think we can pull out of it uh, some important points he's making. So I want to, I want to start here in verse 1, 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, so now I want to take you back and let's, let's kind of work our way through what he's saying here. I believe the first point we need to see here is that our faith leads us into love for God and love for each other. So he says, everyone who believes, so this is faith, that Jesus is the Christ, that's the first part of the great confession, right? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So, so what's happening here is that faith is leading us to love for God, and faith is leading us into the keeping of the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And our faith leads us to love. Then, by the way, that ties in really well with what we call the GPS here, this, this passion for God, passion for people, passion for service. This is what faith leads us into. This is the lifestyle that faith leads us into. And once this love for God comes, then it results in faithfulness in our lives and in love coming out of us and in our behavior and how we act around each other. We, we, we find this source of love that comes as a result of faith. And, and along those lines, well, first of all, that goes along extremely well with the children's story today. Do you notice the story Joey told about the batteries and the flashlight? This is, this is the love of God coming into us. And so I read this, I found this this morning from Christ Object Lessons, uh, page 419. Ellen White wrote this, it says, into the hearts of all who are united to God by faith. How are we united to God? By faith. It all begins with faith. Into the hearts of all who are united to God by faith, the golden oil of love flows freely. Isn't that a beautiful image? When I unite myself to God by faith, the golden oil of love pours out of heaven into my life. 
The golden oil of love flows freely to shine out again in good works in real heartfelt service to God. Isn't that a beautiful description? So faith in God leads to the love of God being poured out in us. Now, the next part that this passage of John is telling us, this love that comes from faith leads us to victory in life that overcomes the world. Now, I also find it fascinating here that, that John has put bookends on this little five-verse reality. So I read you this in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So that's the first part of the confession, right? But now let's jump down to verse 5 in case you think that John forgot about the second part of the confession. Listen to this. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So in verse 1, you have the confession, Jesus is the Christ. And in verse 5, you have the confession, Jesus is the Son of God. He wraps his statement with the great confession of the faith. So let's go on here. Verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So at this point, John is appealing to the authority of the Holy Spirit to establish what he's saying. Now here's the problem for us. How does one with external senses alone hear the testimony of the Spirit? Yet John here is referring to this testimony of the Spirit as being conclusive. Can he do that? Is that fair? Well, I guess the only thing I can say to that is he who has an ear, let him hear. It's about faith. And though it might make you uncomfortable to keep hearing this in this context, this is faith. And it's one of the three things that remain if you believe. Verse 7, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Now, this is simple enough if you're just looking at it on the screen here because we're using the, the New International Version here. That's the one in your pews. That's the reason we use it each week. But if you were reading this right now, if you're reading along with me right now and you happen to have a new King James or you happen to have a King James, you would have seen a much longer passage there. And what that passage would have said is, for there are three that testify in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they agree. And there are three that testify on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. That's what it would say in essence. Now, why would it say that? Okay, so, so here's the deal. That first passage, the, the way it reads in the King James and in the New King James is an extremely good proof text for the doctrine of the Trinity. I mean, because right there it says the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and they, they agree. It's a fabulous proof text for the doctrine of the Trinity. The problem is those words don't appear in any manuscript before the year 1500. Now, the manuscript that was used for the King James Version and for the New King James Version uh, was the manuscript, the Greek manuscript available to them at the time. And they used that manuscript and they wrote out what it said. And that's great. That's what it said. But later, research turned up new manuscripts from times way before that. Those words weren't there. So what are they doing there? Well, it's hard to know for sure. 
But here's the question I have for you. Is this passage that I'm reading to you from 1 John chapter 5 a passage arguing for the Trinity? Is any part of it about that subject? It's not. So whether those words are there or not, do they materially change what the Bible is telling us? They don't. Now, there are people who will try to come to you and try to make a case for this or a case for that, try to challenge the veracity of the Word of God based on the fact that hundreds of years ago there were documents that had slightly different ways, uh, they were written in slightly different ways. Now, if those differences don't change the core of what it's telling you, then that's kind of a waste of time argument, right? But these are the people who come along like the birds and try to pick away your faith based on technicalities. Don't fall for that. The power of Scripture is not contained in the literal original Greek words. It's contained within the Spirit of God that speaks through the Word to your life. Don't let anybody steal it from you. Now, just to talk about that passage, because it's interesting enough, it says there are three that testify the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Let me tell you what I think John is saying here and why I think that other reference really probably doesn't belong right in this spot. But what John is saying here, the three that testify the Spirit, the water, and the blood, here's, here's, here's my theory on it. When he talks about the water... We have another place where, where we sometimes hear this, and it comes from the story of Jesus with Nicodemus. And he says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, how can a man be born again? How can he reenter his mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not talking about that, unless you are born of water and the Spirit. Now, the tendency we have is to, to equate that to our customs. We have a baptistry here, and it kind of makes sense to think being born of the water means to be baptized. And that's great, and I'm not, not saying there's no chance that's what it means, but, but here's what I understand it to mean. And really, in that context of Nicodemus, I think it's the only way it makes sense. And that is, to be born of the water meant to be literally born as a human. Because when a human is born, there is this thing called amniotic fluid, and it comes out with the child. And this was, this was understood in the day to be being born of the water. You came from the water. So it's literal birth. But then, for him to then say to be born of the Spirit, this was to be born again. So you see that context with Nicodemus? Born of the water initially, born of the Spirit, born again. So I think what's happening here is this is actually a testimony here to the reality of Jesus. He was born of the water, that's the literal birth of Jesus. He was born of the blood, that was his death. And then the, the, the testimony of the Spirit is the continuing cu communication with the risen Lord. So we have His literal birth, we have His sacrifice for our sin, and we have His continuing communication with us through the Holy Spirit. That's what I see there. But now let's go on, because I want to take us to verse 9 here. It says, we accept human testimony... But God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. 
Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made whoever does not believe God has made God out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. Okay, so in theory, I think it's easy for us to agree that in principle, God's testimony is more important than man's testimony. So I'm standing here and I'm telling you things that I think the Bible means, but if God were to suddenly appear here and tell you what it really means, because maybe I didn't get it right, I think you would believe God before me, right? You certainly should. So it's easy enough to believe that that could happen. And nobody wants to call God a liar. But the truth is, according to John, if we're saying Jesus isn't who God says he is, the Christ, the Son of God, then we're calling God a liar. And and John will, in fact, state the implications of this in verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's pretty stark, isn't it? So I guess what I would say to that is, he who has an ear, let him hear. But isn't that really the question? How do we hear? Because God didn't show up here today and say something in the way we're used to it. But does that mean he's not speaking? How do we hear? It all comes down to believing the testimony of God. Where do we find the testimony of God? Well. The number one place, we find it in the Bible. And this is the reason I've been challenging you week after week to, in the midst of your weedy life, all the stuff you got going on, find time. In the midst of the fun, in the midst of the busy, in the midst of the responsibility, find time for the voice of God. Take that scripture, open it up, read God's word, that he has the chance to speak to you. That's the number one way that we hear God speak. And again, don't get caught up in the arguments about the detail of the text. It is the message of the Bible you need to receive. So don't get caught in the arguments over the details. There are no major translations out there so messed up that you're gonna get way off. You're only going to get way off if you get hung up on the detail. Don't get hung up there. Get hung up on the message that matters. Faith, hope, love. That's what remains. Find those messages. So in his word, how else? By the Holy Spirit. I believe God speaks to us through our life experience. If we will look back at our life experience, we can see how God has led us, the different things that have transpired, the different ways it's gone, God's providence it used to be called. I believe we can learn from that and see God speaking to us, hear God speaking to us. Then there's also what used to be called the still small voice. You remember that? 
I believe God does sometimes speak to us. I know in my own life there have been times where I think God has led me one way or another with that, but there have been other times when I feel very clearly that God has said to me, don't do that, don't go there, do this, go there. Okay, I couldn't explain that to you perfectly, but I believe that has happened in my life. But then there's one other way that I've found the Spirit of God speaks to me in my life, the voice of God, and it comes through friends. This is one of the reasons I encourage you to be in a small group scenario, that you have people you speak spiritually with, because God will use that to speak to you. And there have been times in my life, different friends, where we've been interacting, and that person will just be talking along, and they won't realize it, but it's as though in the middle of what they're saying, one or two sentences, suddenly God comes down with this massive heavenly highlighter and highlights those words they're speaking in a special way so that they aren't just words going to my ear, they're words that go to my heart. The person talking may have no idea, but God has just spoken to me through that person's mouth. I believe these things happen. But here's the thing. Whether you're talking about Scripture or the still small voice or life experience or the voice through other people, it's, it's faith. It comes down to faith. But here's the thing. All, all this really just brings me to where I want to end today and why I believe today you have the opportunity to walk out of this sanctuary with great joy in your heart. Does that sound good? Do you want to go home today with great joy in your heart? Okay, you got a chance. All right, so here we go. I'm going to start with a question, and it's rhetorical, so you don't have to answer it out loud. So here it is. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Now, that's all. I'm, I'm putting it all in on that, that he is the one prophesied in the Old Testament that he was going to come, that he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and that he is the Son of God, okay? Do you believe that in your heart? Because... If you can honestly say yes to that in your heart, I have awesome news for you today. Are you ready? Here it comes. Verse 13. 1 John 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm going to read it again, and I don't think you got that good enough. Here we go. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Isn't that amazing news? What else could you go home with better than that? What happened at church today? Oh, I found out I have eternal life. Ah, it was a good day. But I want you to understand the construct here. Believing leads to knowing. Do you see that? It's not knowing leads to believing here. It's believing leads to knowing. Now, this word believing 
If you're, if you're actually looking at Greek, it's the same root word of faith. We have two separate words there, but, but in Greek, faith, Greek, faith and believing are, are basically the same word. So here's the, here's the interesting point, and here's where it ties into this whole thing. There are times when in order to know, you must first believe. In order to know you have eternal life, you must first believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. What kind of ground are you? The receptive ground by faith believes and by faith produces a hundred times. Now, any of us can be any of the ground. We're not born one kind of a ground or another. We have a choice in this. What kind of ground are you? Have you made this confession? Jesus is the Christ, Son of God. If you have, then today you know you have eternal life. And with that promise comes hope. And that's where we start next Sabbath. Faith leads us to love. And faith leads us to hope. It all begins with faith. And what is the victory that overcomes the world? Well, it's faith. That's the victory. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. He who has an ear, well, you know what to do, right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, send your convicting spirit right now. I believe every person in this room is good soil. Father, cast your seed, your word in us right now that that seed can take root and grow and we can bear your love in this world and live in the hope of the knowledge that because we believe, we have eternal life. It is Jesus who makes it all possible. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.